Anyway, several years ago, uh, Ohio State University had a quarterback that uh, was the talk of the country. He had led his team to a Big Ten championship and also to a trip to the Rose Bowl. And uh, everyone that knew anything about football expected great things from this particular individual. He went high in the NFL draft. He uh, took a position with the uh, then Baltimore Colts who moved to Indianapolis. And um, the only problem was that uh, everyone was sadly disappointed in the way things turned out because Arch Schleister had a major character flaw. And uh, the flaw wasn't drugs or alcohol and it wasn't sexual promiscuity that led to some type of sexually transmitted disease. And it wasn't a mechanical flaw in the delivery of a football, but Arch Schleister had a different problem. And his problem was gambling. And that problem led to his being banned from the NFL, where he could not participate. And this all happened 10 years before Pete Rose uh, made national prominence with the problem that he had in, as far as gambling was concerned. But commenting in a USA Today interview, Arch Schleister said this about gambling. He says, it grabs you. Your own mind is lying to you, telling you that your next bet is going to be better, that it's going to be the big winner, but it's not. It never is. The problem of gambling, as uh, we will discuss in this session and our next one, the problem of gambling is fast becoming... The problem of gambling, realistically, is fast becoming probably one of the greatest subtle uh, epidemics to hit our country in a long time. And uh, what we need to understand about it, as is true of many other problems that we're going through as far as the moral decline of our nation, uh, gambling is, is one of those things that uh, is a behavior that's becoming accepted by both Christians and non-Christians alike. It's kind of like, you know, the problem that we discussed in drinking alcoholic beverages. It's the kind of thing where, you know, under the right circumstances and for the right reasons, again, we, we get into this whole issue of moral relativism, if it's for the right reasons and it's in the right place, then the action itself isn't really a problem. It's the end result or it's the reason why you're doing it and all these other things that we talk about. And uh, just as we discussed when we talked about the problem of drinking, is that there tends to be a rationalization of it coming from even the Christian community. So I thought I'd take a gamble and uh, talk about gambling um, in this particular session and next, and uh, try to uh, understand how subtle the problem really is. You know, there, there was a time in our country's not-too-distant past that gambling was, uh, was a business that was conducted only by the underworld of organized crime. If you get right down to it, within a generation, all those things have changed. Today, even our government, on the state and uh, local level, is capitalizing on the desire of many Americans to get rich quick or to become millionaires overnight. And uh, Richard Richardson of the Maryland Compulsive Gambling Council says this. He says, without a doubt, compulsive gambling has reached epidemic levels in our country. A Wall Street Journal recently this past fall had an article and it reported on the dramatic spread of casino gambling by Americans and the increasing dependence on state and local governments on the revenue that it generates. In the article, it made an interesting point, and, and it falls in line with what we've been discussing, but the author said, quote, the changing moral climate of the United States has helped to make this all possible. She concluded with this thought, within a generation, gambling has gone from being a masculine vice to mass market entertainment. Within a single generation, it's gone from being a vice to mass market entertainment. Interesting, isn't it? 
And so as we consider all these things, there was an article that was in Business Week magazine that was entitled, Gambling Fever, Is It Good For Us? And the following are a couple of excerpts, and I want to lay the backdrop by mentioning these things because I think it lays a foundation for what we'll discuss. But in this particular article, it said, Every evening, thousands of bingo players around the country lay out their cards, focus their eyes on video monitors, and start playing mega bingo. It says, launched last February, it's the world's biggest and richest bingo game with a $500,000 jackpot. Numbers drawn in, tal- in a Tulsa bingo hall are telecast live via satellite to 15 other halls in eight states. Think about what technology has allowed us to become. In South Dakota, the legislature recently authorized the installation of new video gambling devices, electronic near equivalents of slot machines in bars and taverns. It says within a year, 2,500 of the machines went into operation. It says in Maryland, Pimlico Racecourse has opened its huge sports palace where horse players can put bets on the Pimlico card and other races simulcast live from a dozen other tracks on huge television screens. Betting on sports such as football and baseball is illegal anywhere but in Nevada and Montana. However, Oregon has just passed and made it legal there as well. But Pimlico's owners are getting set for its legalization nationally, which some observers will happen within a few few years. In Iowa, the state lottery recently began producing live TV game shows with teams of lottery players as contestants, and the ratings have been higher than those for Wheel of Fortune. Can you imagine that? In part of the shows, they announce prizes for players at home. Lottery officials are considering arranging for home viewers to play along by calling in answers with touchtone telephones. It says, at this pace, that seems epidemic gambling fever is sweeping the United States and raising disturbing questions about its possible deleterious impact on society. Today, gambling outlets are as common and well-patronized as convenience stores. Gambling is part of the weekly and even daily routine of tens of millions of Americans and of millions in Europe, the Far East, Latin America, Australia, and Canada. University of Nevada gambling expert William T. Thompson puts it this way. He says, The world seems now to be engulfed in a veritable explosion of gambling activity. Last year, Americans legally and illegally wagered more than $240 billion with an annual increase of 10%. Interesting. Until recently, gambling was considered to be a vice by the majority of Americans. It was always thought to be in connection with prostitution, crime, and corruption. Christensen went on to say, gambling has gone through cycles of being prohibited and legalized, but now for the first time it is being legitimized, it is coming into the American mainstream. The former head of the Nevada Gaming Control Board, who now runs Donald Trump's Nevada operation, says this. He goes, you know, you've had a whole new generation. You have a whole new generation of people who feel that they can gamble without thinking that it reflects poorly on their character. Isn't that interesting? If you think about how commonplace phrases are, phrases are like the one I mentioned, I think, well, we can take a chance on this. Or do you want to take a gamble? Or, you know, you want to bet? I'll bet you. It's, you know, it's a safe bet. It's a roll of the dice. You know, even the Lay's uh, uh, potato chip people jumped in on that one where they said, hey, you know what? I bet you can't eat just one. You know, it's become so commonplace in our conversation that it's so subtle that we don't step back and try to understand what's going on. See, Iowa Lottery Commissioner Edward Stanek says this, Playing the lottery is a form of recreation that's no more harmful for most people than going to the movies or bowling. Officials are reaping off the profits of gambling today, are saying that that practice 
is a healthy escape from the frustrations of modern society. All right, now let me ask you a couple questions. Have you ever heard a person explain away their trips to Las Vegas by saying, it's fun, the hotels and the food are cheap, and besides, we have a set limit that, we, that we've got established for how much we'll bet, and we never lose any more than that. I mean, how many of you have heard someone say that? Or how many of you have, well, have, have gone to Vegas and have said, uh, well, now, and you can go to Vegas now and not bet, right? That is possible still. They still, oh, they let you do that. All right, okay, now let me ask it this way then. How many of you have ever gone to Las Vegas? All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, now let me ask you another question. How many of you have ever gone to Las Vegas and stopped and looked around you? Good. Oh, good. Now, see, this audience participation time. It's really important that you feel like you're involved in this process here. Otherwise, I'm in deep trouble. Okay, now, let me ask you the next question. How many of you looked... What's that? Now... But why? Okay, now, how many of you looked around and uh, you've seen people wager? Place bets. Put down some money. All right? Raise your hands again. All right? Okay, okay. Now, have you ever seen anyone lose? <laughs> oh, you have, huh? Okay. So you've seen a few people lose. All right, all right. Have you ever seen people lose to the point where it was like, it really kind of, I mean, it was depressing. How many of you have seen that? I mean, what, what, have you ever seen someone dropping like, just a, they're just throwing money down like crazy and they're losing, and then you see them go over to the ATM machine? Huh? How many of you have seen that? Is that like the most pathetic, tragic thing that you've ever seen in your life? I mean, stop and think about it. I mean, have you ever seen a loser walk away from, you know, a roulette wheel or, you know, a blackjack table or wherever? Have you seen someone get up and walk away? I mean, is it like, I mean, don't you want, like want to throw your arm around him and hug him and say, hey, you know what, you don't have to live your life like this. You know what I mean? This, but hey, 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 we're here because it's entertaining. I mean, I've walked out a few movies really discouraged. And I've walked out, you know, bowling a few times and been rather discouraged. <laughs> it's usually because I lost a bet with the people I'm bowling with. No. <laughs> no, just kidding. may have something to do with my bowling game. But anyway, um, I, mean, I mean, you've seen that, right? I mean, you've seen people that just, they've lost money and it's tragic. Now, what I'd like to do sometimes is follow them home. You know what I mean? And, and I want to hear them explain to, or follow them back to the room or whatever, and hear them explain to their wife or their kids or their husband or whomever. I want to hear them explain how much fun they had. It was a blast. You see what the problem is here? Now, how many of you go to Las Vegas because the rooms are cheap? Well, they are, Right? Now, okay, how many have gone there because the food's cheap? Oh, man, you can eat. Oh, you can eat. Oh, my goodness, you can eat. They got the big old buffets, you know, 99-cent buffet, steak, all you can eat, 99 cents. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you think they do that? <laughs> now, we're in business, right? I mean, you know, I stop and I consider what's going on around me. How do people do certain things? What's these business principles? And what am I missing somewhere? Now, how do you think they offer that cheap food and those cheap rooms and the free drinks while you gamble? Huh? 
Help me someone. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. By people who are losing their limits that they're going to spend. They're losing their limits. Whatever those limits are, they're losing them. There is a reason that the food is so cheap. There is a reason that their rooms are so cheap. There is a reason that they give out free drinks. Free drinks. All right, now what's wrong with that phrase? There's a reason they can do it. You know why they can do it? Because there's a whole bunch of people losing the limits that they established for themselves. Now, stop and think about it. For every fun-loving weekender who predetermines the amount of money that they're going to bet, there are countless numbers of people who walk away depressed, lonely, suicidal, discouraged, disgusted, and just totally empty from this fun weekend that they planned. And it's a scary thing to consider. I mean, there's a study that was done. You know, Vegas used to um, have all, their, all, the, all the gambling was in money, dollars. They changed it to chips. And you know why they did it? There's a detachment there, right? It's not real. A chip isn't real. When you see people stacking up big old chips and you start going, well, let me equate this into dollars. There's $5,000. There's $400. There's $800. There's, you know, a million dollars. And they're just stacked up, nice little neat chips. Well, when they did that, they found that they, they raised revenue by 30%. And it's the same financial principle, by the way, of why credit card companies came into existence. Not just for the convenience of not having to give change out, but because you'll spend 30% more if you use a credit card, regardless whether you pay off that balance every month or not. You will spend 30% more using a credit card. Why? There's a detachment. It's not real. And so they did the same thing. And I wonder the consequences of what happens to families, marriages, as a result of these fun weekends to Las Vegas. Now, don't you think it's a little ironic that Las Vegas is promoting itself as the new family vacation destination of the world? I mean, stop. You think about this for a second. Here's, here is a, a sport, if you want to call it that. I'll still go back to here is a, a vice that is destroying marriages, destroying families, and they're luring more families there by saying, but you can get a room at Circus Circus or whatever the uh, Camelot and all these new hotels that they're building, and you can get a room there for $29 a night. Hey, that sounds like a great idea. Well, we put the kids out by the pool. We'll just go in, and we got a predetermined limit, and we'll have fun gambling. And even if we lose everything, it still would be a cheap vacation or comparable to going somewhere else. That's the reasoning, the rationale, the logic, the moral relativism that we find all of ourselves subtly trapped into and we become a part of all of that. The vacation destiny for families. Hmm. But someone is losing. Someone is losing money. And the funny thing is, it's never anyone I talk to that goes to Las Vegas. Isn't that the truth? How many of you talk to people go, oh, yeah, but we didn't lose anything. Because, you know, by the time we figured what we'd have paid in a hotel and what we'd pay for meals in Hawaii or somewhere like that, by the time it was all said and done, we broke even. It's the new math. I think we could, yeah, it is. I mean, think about it. It's the new math. You can break, it doesn't matter. You can break even no matter how, somehow or another, you can do the math, the gymnastics of the mathematics to break even. 
going there. Now, let me ask you a question. In a very short period of time, our culture has become obsessed with gambling and lotteries. Now, group participation. Here we go. Why do you think that's so? You can get something for nothing. Okay? Greed. Yeah, but, nah, you know, <laughs> that's so harsh. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, how many people you know that, you know, that buy lottery tickets, for example, say, I do it because I'm greedy. I'm greedy. I want more, more, more. No one ever says that. There's always a, a, a much cleaner reason. Uh, it's the excitement. It's turning into a big spin. Nothing could be more exciting than that. Well, in our culture, how would people get happy? The only way you can be happy in our culture is you have to have money. Because if you have money, you have uh, the opportunity to have things materially that you wouldn't have if you didn't have money. So the reason that we want the money is so that we can buy things that will make us happy. And the gambling industry understands that. How many of you have seen the lottery commercials? All right. Can you, which one that stands out in your mind? Anybody can remember the, the commercial? I'm, I'm reading over my notes. What's that? Wow, one at a time now. What? Oh, the kitchen. Oh, 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 yeah. You remember this one? They're standing there and they're looking at this beautiful kind of a meadow or something of some sort. It looks like it's the little house on the prairie backdrop, you know? And I'm thinking, this is the California lottery? <laughs> but anyway, that's a whole different thing. So they're, they're looking out and, and the gal goes like this. Right here goes the kitchen window. All right, you pick, you pick up on what's going on? Right here, the kitchen window. While they're standing there, obviously there's no house, but we can do that now. What other one you got? Oh, yeah, isn't that a great one? I was watching the Dodger game last night, and they had it on. It was a commercial, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm going over my nose. And they have, you got to, well, it's kind of like this. They got this guy, and he's, and he's sitting in bed. And, and all you can see from the camera angle, no, seriously. All you can see, for you in the back, all you can see are his feet. And he goes like this. My friends, call me the six million dollar man. <laughs> Seen that? Right? And he has a channel changer, right? Now, I'm familiar with this position. <laughs> well, yeah, see? That, well, that's advertising. You've got to be able to relate to your audience. So, every, how many guys are familiar with this position, right? All right, there you go. Amen. There we go. I have my, ladies, so their husband didn't raise their hand. How many women know this position? They've seen it somewhere around their house. Thank you very much. All right. So anyway, he's laying there like this, and he's got this channel changer. All right. And I'm going, okay, so what? But he pushes this button, and the TV comes up out of the ground. Is that cool or what? <laughs> TV pops up out of the ground. He's got some type of a drink sitting next to him. And it's probably alcoholic beverage. He's got a beer sitting there. He's flipping it on. The, he, the TV comes out of the ground. And he turns on. And a game comes on. It's like heaven, guys. <laughs> right? And, and that's what he says. My friends, they call me the $6 million man. And then it's a spot for the lottery. So obviously, look at this. I can get a TV that pops up out of the ground. Is this like unbelievable or what? Oh, well, nonetheless, of course it's a big screen. Picture and picture and picture and picture. 
Look like Channel 4, NBC Studio, truck monitor, man. You can get it all. You have it all. You can, well, if you win that much money, you can get anything you want. See? So whatever's important to you. What was the other one I saw that was pretty interesting? Oh, 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 yeah. Which one was it? The bathroom one. Well, they, go, <laughs> they just got this gold faucet. And, and, and you can hear them in the back. <laughs> giggling. <laughs> it's like a gold faucet. And they're giggling in the background. Well, what's the point? Hey, when you got that much money, what's a gold faucet? See? And this is the kind of thing that if you have it, you can quit work, you can travel, you can get a big screen that pops up out of the ground. And, thank you, thank you, and, and the children benefit from it in the schools. Wow! I can have it all! This is great. This is America. This is what America's all about now, see? You can have everything. You can have your cake and eat it too, and people will benefit from it. Isn't that interesting? And the kids benefit from it. Wow. What's next? How about card clubs, high-tech video gambling machines, charity bingo, horse racing, greyhound racing, Check this out. Nine states permit card clubs now. The Bicycle Club near LA is one of 350 clubs in California. It has a 155 tables, attracts 2,000 players every day. It grosses $83 million a year from seat rental fees. Seat rental fees charged to players who bet against each other. All they do is rent out the chairs. Montana, 8,400 video gambling machines operate in bars and retail stores. Betting has doubled each year since legalization in 1985. The best one is the charitable bingo games run by churches and various charity organizations. Charity bingo operates in 46 states and is run by professionals who help charities gross millions of dollars every year. Many of these charities run what they call Las Vegas nights. Or when we were growing up, um, the particular church that we went to called it Monte Carlo Nights, where you got drunk and gambled and, and you did it because it benefited the athletic department of the school. Yes, indeed. It was one of those things where it was good for the kids. So, you know, I don't know. You kind of go through all this and you start to ask yourself some questions. The conclusion of the particular Business Week article said this, evidence suggests that once people start playing the lottery, they often progress to other forms of gambling including illegal gambling. Law enforcement officials say state sponsorship of legal gambling has spurred illegal betting by helping to wipe out gambling's stigma. Critics also castigate lottery sales pitches, which stress the fantasy of huge jackpots, but say little about the often astronomical odds against winning and the low payout. Typically, only 50% of a lottery's sales is returned as prizes to players. Racetracks and casinos often pay out 80% or more. Penn State sociologist Vicki Apt says this, the lottery is the worst game in town. But it's interesting because I, I was talking to my wife, she's in Florida visiting her folks, and I talked to her yesterday and she knew I was going to be talking about uh, this particular subject, and, and the lottery is a big thing in, in Florida, and uh, she was, in the, in the course of the conversation, my, my father-in-law said, you know, but it's only a couple of dollars. Only a couple of bucks. What's a lottery ticket? A buck? I don't know. A buck? A couple? You can buy two, three, four? I don't know. You know, and it's and it's something that is attainable for everybody. We can all participate. And um, he said, but you got to remember too, since this whole lottery started, there's more millionaires in Florida than any other state. 
I said, yeah, that's because they were all millionaires when they retired and moved down there. He goes, no, 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 it's from the lottery, it's from the lottery. I say, well, okay, well, whatever. So that's kind of what we're dealing with, that's kind of what we're up against, and it kind of gives us a nice backdrop to discuss what I want to discuss in, in this particular session and, and again next week. But we've got to ask ourselves a question. Is gambling good or bad? Is it right or wrong behavior? It's something we have to ask serious questions. And the only place that I know to go to that gives you a straight answer is in the Bible. Because the Bible it gives us truth. And the, and the wonderful thing about truth is, is that truth always withstands the test of time. And it's not a matter of social changes or cultural changes or what's acceptable in culture. Because we're already finding that 10 years ago, gambling wasn't mainstream. Today it is. Ten years ago, there were many other behaviors in our country that weren't mainstream and that were frowned upon very seriously. And now they are. They're in vogue, so to speak. So the problem that we have is that people are fickle. Our, ch our tastes change from time to time. While gambling may not be in vogue, to, or in vogue today, what happens ten years from now if it's not again? See, what we need is something that stabilizes all of our emotions of whether something's right or wrong based on the moment in time. And the wonderful thing about truth is that truth always withstands the test of time. While it may be expedient for some to try to doctor up the truth, so to speak, to get out of a jam today, truth always is and always will withstand the test of time. I like a great, a great story that I heard. It was a funny story. A guy named George Jessel tells it. And uh, George Jessel is a comedian. He tells a story about a lion that was prowling out throughout Africa. And it came across this cattle ranch. And as it came across the cattle ranch, the lion ran into a bull that was there in the pasture. And they got in this fierce struggle. The, this, this lion, this bull went at it head to head. Well, ultimately, eventually, the, uh, the lion won out. The lion kills the bull, slaughters it, eats it and walks away roaring its approval about this conquest. So as the lion heads back into the jungle roaring all the way, a hunter hears this lion roaring, tracks down the lion because it hears it roaring all the way back into the jungle, shoots it, and kills it. And uh, when George Jessel was asked, so what's the point of the story? He said, real simple. The moral of the story is this. When you're full of bull, you need to learn to keep your mouth shut. Right? Well, how's that tie into this? Well, actually, if you know the truth, there are times when we need to be very vocal and open our mouth. See, because if I know what we're sharing today is true, I do not hesitate to share it because I'm confident, while it may not be popular even this morning, even to some of you, I know this. That if it's God's truth, it has withstood the test of time and will continue to withstand the test of time. And I don't really care whether I'm popular or not by what I present, but the bottom line is the truth will set you free. And it does in every situation and in everything that we struggle with, and we need to understand that. So what we're going to look at is what the Bible has to say about gambling. And uh, what I'd like you to do, the first thing is, let's, let's get um, argument number, way, number one out of the way. This is something that, whether you realize it or not, I think affects a majority of people. And let me tell you why. If you've ever gone to Vegas to gamble, or Reno, or Tahoe, or Atlantic City, or wherever, 
If you've ever bought a lottery ticket, if you've ever played bingo, if you've ever participated in the office football pool, then this certainly is a relevant subject. If you've ever played cards and bet, it's a relevant subject. And it affects a lot more people than you think. Because stereotypically, the first thing that people think is, you know what, gambling? I don't have a problem with gambling. But what's fascinating to me is that everything that we've discussed throughout this whole series on the decline of morality in America, the majority of us look at that and say, that's not really something I struggle with necessarily. But upon further investigation, you realize, you know what? I guess I do kind of identify with the problem. I didn't think that I did, but I do. And that's what subtle deception is all about. It has us believing that we're not part of the problem of the moral decline of our country. So we need to understand what the Bible says about gambling. But before we go to specifically what I want to talk about, I want to give you a little more information. Turn with me in the Gospel of John, the book of John, chapter 19. And, and I have heard Christians, I have heard Christians use this particular argument to argue that gambling, there's no problem with gambling. And they've said this, the Bible talks about, what? Casting lots. The Bible talks about casting lots. Therefore, the Bible talks about gambling. And in John chapter 19, we see an example of this as the soldiers at the feet, at, at the feet of, the, of the cross or at Christ's feet as he's on the cross. In John 19, verses 23 and 24, we see this event unfold. We read this. <clears throat> the soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic, but the tunic was seamless and it was woven in one piece. So they say, okay, we've taken the outer garment, we've divided it up, there's four of us, we, can, we each can take a piece of that. But when they got to the tunic or the undergarment, that was sewn and it's one piece, it just slipped right on over top. Well, they didn't want to cut it up because it'd mess it up. So now they got a problem. There's four of us, there's only one tunic. How are we going to divide this up? So it says, they said therefore to one another, well, let's not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, they divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So they came up with a solution to the problem. We're going to cast lots. All right, now some of us think, well, they were, you know, rolling dice or whatever, and you'd look at this and say, well, that's an acceptable way of coming to a conclusion regarding a, a decision that you have to make. Well, see, what were they trying to do? They were trying to make a decision... And whatever the decision was, it would be accepted by the whole group. But you've got to understand one other thing here, that these men were not Christians, they were not God's people, and this was their solution to how they were going to you know, arrive at a, a, an acceptable conclusion. So you go, well, okay, that's one thing. But see, then what gets real sticky and, and becomes problematic is that all of a sudden now, if you turn to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 1, we've got another problem because the disciples of, of, of Jesus are now trying to find a replacement for Judas who had killed himself. So now you take that and say, well, that argument would hold up if it was not Christians, but now we've got a problem where we've got a bunch of God's people in a room together, 11 of them, trying to decide who the 12th will be to take the place of Judas who had killed himself. And so in Acts chapter 1, we read how they went about this process. Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. 
So it was therefore necessary that of the men who had accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John and until this day. One of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they put forward two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. So as they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show which of these two men thou hast chosen to accompany the ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. So here they were, they're facing a dilemma. There's 11 guys, there's two men that were worthy men, they were, they were honorable before God, they met the qualifications to take the place of, of, um, of Judas, but they are in a dilemma, which one of these two do we pick? So they pray, they ask God, okay, which one, you know the hearts of these men, you know the hearts, help us come to a conclusion. So verse 36 says, and they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. All right, do you see what was going on here? What were they trying to do? They were trying to make a decision. What were the soldiers at the cross trying to do? They were trying to make a decision. They weren't gambling to take some kind of you know, mathematical formula into consideration where then one of them would benefit financially. They were trying to make a decision. And that's different than gambling for money. What they were trying to come to a conclusion of, which one of these men would take the place of Judas? And so they cast lots, or, in other words, they voted. They had a vote. And when they voted, they came to the conclusion that it would be Matthias, who was numbered with the 11 apostles. So in the, the way that I would look at it would be something like this. Sometimes when you're trying to make a decision, it's kind of like, okay, any of, the, any of the two decisions would be right before God. You go through a process. You know, they prayed about it. They, ch- they checked the qualifications. These were men that were filled with the Spirit. They were men that were honorable before God. They were men of integrity. Both of them equally fit the qualifications that were laid out. Now you've got a dilemma. You've only got one position, so you've got to take two. Sometimes you've got to take into consideration other things. Well, what they did was they voted. They said, okay, let's just vote. And that's what it came down to. Was that God's will? Absolutely. How do we know? Because we can look in hindsight and say that it was. We know that it was. But when you're making a decision, oftentimes you're not real sure other than the fact that you've prayed about it, you've sought scripture, you've sought counsel, and it's kind of like, should you take this job or this job? Should you move this house to this house? Should you do this or that? And you go through that process, and every one of them are pleasing to God. Sometimes it becomes a matter like Solomon says, hey, you cast your, your bread upon the water after many days it returns to you. It's just you make a decision and you go for it. Trust in God that you went through the appropriate means to make that decision and realize that God is in it. And uh, w- to simplify it, maybe be, you, you ever have like a, a pickup baseball game? You ever have two people, you pick two people, they're captains. They're going to pick people, right? Well, how do you know who goes first? Throw up a baseball bat. Doom, 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 doom. Oh, I got it. Okay, that's the way it works. Or... What would be another way to do it? Um, yeah, you flip a coin, pick a number, uh, one, two, three, this, you know, shank, whatever that was. Um, and, uh, or, or, or the modern version of one, two, three, shank is what? Rocks, paper, scissors. What? Yeah, eeny, meeny, yeah. Or, 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 or better yet, rocks, paper, scissors. I mean, that, that's kind of what it comes down to. So this is the backdrop so that you understand the Bible does not endorse gambling by saying, but it talks about casting lots. Well, what it talks about is making decisions, and that's different than exchanging you know, odds for money or trying to make money from it. So let, let's go through it now that that's resolved. It'd be nice sometimes if God would just include it in the Ten Commandments, commandment number 11, thou shalt not gamble. 
You know what I mean? Or number 12, uh, thou shalt not uh, drink alcoholic beverages. Or number 13, thou shalt not, I don't know, go to X-rated or R-rated movies. Or X-rated movies. Or thou shalt not, um, what other things? Uh, thou shalt not dance. Now, you know what I mean? I mean, there's some things culturally that we really struggle with. And it'd be like, wouldn't it be nice if it just said thou shalt not? But the problem is there are a lot of things and behaviors that God doesn't say clearly, thou shalt not. However, he does give guidelines that we need to look at and ask ourselves some deeper questions. What does God say about this overall? Okay, I can't find thou shalt not. The funny thing is about thou shalt nots is that we can always find a good reason why we shalt. You know what I mean? That's kind of the way it is, right? I mean, we can always justify anything. It's like thou shalt not except in this circumstance. Right? And that's kind of the way it works. So, see, the whole point is thou shalt not do something, number 14, would still say, but this is okay because it's me and it's this circumstance. Anyway, here, here's the deal. Number one, the first problem that I see as we look at the, the problem of gambling as it's outlined by Scripture is this. It contributes to a person's lack of contentment. It contributes to a person's lack of contentment. Whoa. All right, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these things. Proverbs 15, 16 says this, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Now ask yourself a question, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Ask yourself this question. Does gambling promote contentment? Does gambling, realistically, ask a tough question. Does gambling promote contentment? What does it promote? Discontentment. Think about it. It promotes discontent. Why? Because even if you win, you didn't win enough. And if you lost, you're still discontent because you want to win it back. And there's an endless cycle that takes place where you get trapped in the middle of it saying, but you know what, does it pr promote contentment? And any informed person that has looked at people who gamble and struggle with the problem realize it does not produce contentment. It produces exactly the opposite. It creates dissatisfaction. It creates dissatisfaction with your present circumstances. And it lures you into believing that you deserve more. It lures you into believing you deserve more than you already have. It lures you into believing that not only do you deserve more material things uh, that you already have, but it also lures you into believing that you can have those things without working for them. That you can have those things without waiting for them. You can have those things without saving for them. You can have those things without praying about it. You can have those things without trusting God. You can have all those things that you want without waiting on God, without waiting for Him, without working for Him, without any effort on your part. And you can have them when? Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, but you can have them today. That's what it does. It promotes discontentment to the point that you can have everything that you want, every heart, your, your, everything your heart desires, and you can have it today. And the magic of all of it is, and there's not a lot of risk involved because I can buy a lottery ticket for a buck, and hey, if I make it, great. If I don't, so what? But then I can have everything now. Right? Am I missing something, or is that pretty accurate? See, and God warns it contributes to a person's lack of contentment. It causes us to forget this truth. It causes us to look at material things as if material things are the answer to all of happiness for our life. 
it causes us to look at material things as if, you know what, I'm, I'm missing something in my life, and it must be the TV that pops up out of the ground. It must be the house that has the, the, the view from the kitchen window of the meadow. It must be the gold faucets. It's got to be something else because I'm lonely and I'm miserable and there's something missing in my life, and it must be something materially because those are the only things that satisfy and yet every material thing that we ever got that's new, we look at it, it gets old, it breaks, it starts to stink, and you throw it away in a garage sale, and somebody else buys it as if it's a treasure. And you're looking at it like, are you crazy? We're selling it. And they're looking at it like, how can you sell such a wonderful treasure? Because you'll end up selling in your garage sale too. Why? Because it's deceptive. It doesn't answer the, most inner, the, the innermost needs of our life. See, that's what happens with the whole thing of gambling in order to obtain material things. You get into a death spiral or a trap and you can't get out of it because you're, you're mistakenly believing that that's the answer to all the problems in your life. You know what it really boils down to? I'm convinced that this is what happens. For the Christian, it boils down to this. We have bought into that lie and that deception. It takes us away from focusing on God... It takes us away from thanking. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you thanked God for his provisions for your life other than the mandatory Thanksgiving Day little thing that we do around the table? When was the last time you took time and just thanked God for his provisions today rather than always asking him why he hasn't given you this? God... Why haven't you given me what they have? Why can't I have what's up that street or in that neighborhood? Why can't I drive what you drive? Why can't I just stop for a moment and thank God for what he's already provided for me today and in the past? You see what gambling does? What it does is it promotes discontent to the point where it takes our eyes and our focus off of thanking God for all of his provisions already. And it causes us to want more than he's already given us. It causes us, as God's people, to become little spoiled, rotten brats. How's that for a word picture? Pretty good one, huh? But that's the truth, isn't it? Have you ever seen a little spoiled, rotten little kid? they got a whole house full of toys, and there's a million things that they can do, and all they look at is over the fence and see the neighbor kid has something they don't have, and what do you think they want? I want that. They can't have it. Why not? You got a whole house full of stuff. I don't care. I don't have that, though. Well, gee whiz. Life stinks. You know? But we're no different. All we are is we're big pictures of it. We're big pictures of it. And what, what the problem that we need to deal with and wrestle with is that, you know what? <laughs> Gambling contributes to it. It contributes to that mindset. Let me give you an example in closing because we'll pick up on this next week. But uh, I had a friend of mine who played for the Rams for a number of years. And um, we, had a, we had a guy that was, um, he was, he was, he was a linebacker, which having been one myself at one point, I, there's, there's a little bit, there's always something a little different about those people. And, and I think it has a lot to do with how many times you get hit in the head. And, and a lot to do with the fact you like the feeling <laughs> that you walk away with. But they were, they were in the locker room and uh, this particular guy, was the guy I was talking about. And he asked Doug. Doug was the center for the Rams for 14 seasons. Solid guy, right? And they're in the locker room, and you talk about stupid things. They're standing there, and they're shaving or something or getting dressed at the sink. And um, he said, hey, Doug, 
man, do you buy lottery tickets? Doug said, no, not really. He goes, well, why not? You know what? I just don't see any reason to. I mean, why do you buy them? And this guy said, why do I buy them? Are you nuts? The money, man. I mean, can you imagine if you won the lottery? You'd be set for life. For life, you didn't have any other care in the world. You set for life. So Doug's a pretty sharp guy. He's thinking. He says, um, how much money do you make this season? And the guy tells him, says, uh, you know, with just the base is 500. So now it's 500,000, right? That, yeah, 500,000. 500,000. You make $500,000. Now, this is like six years ago. So I said, you make five, this year you'd make 150. <laughs> hey, so, so much for the salary cap. <laughs> but anyway, um, it was like, okay, 500. And he goes, yeah. He goes, $500,000. He goes, yeah. He goes, did you ever think in your life that you'd make $500,000? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, did you grow up, I mean, any, did, did anybody you ever knew when you grew up make $500,000? No, man, my dad worked the same company for 30 years, never made more than 32000 but let me ask you this. When you were coming into the league, if someone told you that one season you'd make $500,000, wouldn't you have believed that you would have been set for life? He goes, man, I never thought about that. He goes, well, see the point? The point is material things will never provide that satisfaction that you're looking for in life. Then only Jesus can do that. And he looked at him like, all right, I know where this is going. Um, and he said, but you know what, though? But wouldn't it be nice to hit the lottery? <laughs> I was like, well, you know, oh, so much. It was there for a moment, and then it kind of escaped him. But I would hope the point doesn't escape us. The point is real simple, that gambling contributes to a person's lack of contentment. There's no other way you can get around that. It helps us to focus on material things, and that's why the contrast is there. For we've brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Brought nothing in, we're going out just like we came in, empty-handed. The only thing that we have in this life is the things that God gives us and he puts in our hand. And it really becomes a matter of stewardship as well, too, because it's not ours, it's his. And he says, we brought nothing in, we can take nothing out. But you know what? If we have food and we have clothing... With these things, we shall be content. And you know why that is? Because we recognize that all provisions come from the hand of God. And we can praise Him for it, we can thank Him for it, and we can just praise God for it as well. You know, folks, if you've never come to know Christ, then you're mistakenly believing that there's something in this world that can fill that need. And the Bible clearly says, man, there is no, abundance, there is no abundant life outside of knowing Jesus Christ. That's the only way that you can ever have an abundant life here on earth and be secure for all of eternity. The sad thing to me is that God's people who knew that and understand that and at one time have invited Christ into their life and experienced that abundance have somehow or another been sucked into the deceit of the world around us that not only did Jesus provide abundant life, but he can't sustain it. He can't continue to make you content. He can't continue to provide for your needs. You think he can secure you for all of eternity and not be able to take care of you for while you're here on earth? You know what? We need to just ask God to forgive us 
and we need to just thank him more than just Thanksgiving Day. We need to thank him today and every day for what he's given us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are, number one, for your salvation that you've given us through Christ. We thank you that Jesus said he came to bring life and abundantly for the contentment and the peace that we have as your, as your people that the world doesn't know. God, help us not to get caught up in the deceitfulness of everything around us, being lured into believing that somehow or another material things are the answers to the problems in our life and in our hearts. God, may we realize that everything that we've had and been given to us has never answered that innermost question, has never provided contentment and joy on a permanent basis. Sure, things are nice to have for a while, and they provide for a temporary source of some pleasure. But in the long run, they always fail us. They always lead us, leave us down. And uh, ultimately, we're looking for something new and something better and something bigger and something newer and improved. And God, we realize that things aren't going to do it, but only a right relationship with you does. God, help us to be people that appreciate everything that you give us, not to be spoiled little brats, but to look at what you've given us and thank you and praise you for it, realizing that we've brought nothing into this world, so everything that we have up to this point, you've given it to us, and we can take nothing out, and we need to learn to be content. God, help us to be people who learn to trust in you, and also as a result, to enjoy the contentment that comes with right living before you. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.